0: earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Families have a lot going on.
1: Healthy living intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa is for educational purposes only and is not intended to provide a physician-patient relationship. Give diagnoses, prescribe treatment, or do psychotherapy. Please contact your healthcare provider to obtain treatment.
0: This podcast is produced with Caller Interaction. Follow Dr. Mona Lisa on Facebook and Instagram to be a part of the next podcast taping. Discover your body's natural ability to heal. Welcome to Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa. This is Healthy Living Intuitively with
2: Dr. Mona Lisa podcast on MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. My name is Dr. Mona Lisa. Do you go into an emotional spiral during health and relationship setbacks? Is it hard for you to get back up? unspiral? In a world that seems turned upside down, it seems to be harder and harder
1: for us to feel an uplifting sense of gratitude or even how to move forward with a better mood. If this is you, today's show is for you
2: because we're going to learn how To have gratitude during the times of, well, the good times, the thrill of victory, but also during those moments of agony and defeat, and you're saying, how in the hell are we going to do that? We're taking your calls during the show for a mini-reading, question or comment, 207-846-6475, 207-846-6475. Shy, want a private reading instead? email me at www.drmonalisa.com or call 207-846-6475 during non-Zoom podcast hours. And subscribe to Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa Podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, this podcast is educational only, not intended to provide a physician-patient relationship Give diagnoses, prescribe treatment, or do psychotherapy. If this is an emergency, health-wise or emotional-wise, put down the podcast, zip
1: away from the Zoom, go directly to the emergency room. So, we all know it can be very easy to be grateful during thrilling times. We all see someone win the lottery. They don't say, damn it, I won.
2: They're going zip, yippee. They have the commercials. And you don't say, it's very hard to see someone who's grateful when they have a car accident or there is a death or something. How we do know in science that gratitude or trying to see something in its most optimistic light. can actually support our immune system system for health and healing, support pain, and support our mood. But how do we do that? And what does that have to do with faith? This is not proselytizing. This is science and medicine. But it's also difficult to do. Recently on the Today Show, they had Maria Menunos on And as you might remember, Maria Menounos is a um, journalist been on a lot of networks. And she had a really um, crisis situation. She was found to have a brain tumor and it was excised, excised, and this was awful. And pretty much
1: when we hear about a catastrophe, you know, the brain tumor is the thing. But then she bounced back with gratitude and she had a lot of faith. And she was on the
2: morning shows, and they said, You know, how can you have such gratitude when you're in the midst of this
1: tragedy? And she says, I have a lot of faith. And she bounced back. And then she wanted to have a baby. She had a hard time getting pregnant, but she finally got pregnant and she
2: was very grateful. And then she started to get sick and no one could find out what was wrong with her. She went from doctor to doctor, to doctor to doctor. And you can understand why a person who had a brain tumor had surgery, had trouble getting pregnant. These are now strike two. And now she's got this sick thing going on. She goes to all the MRIs and finally they find out she has
1: pancreatic cancer, like stage two or three. I'm listening to this from the other room. And it's amazing how positive this woman is. You wonder, she says, I just have such gratitude for what I have. We hear about these types of people. It's very hard to have this type of gratitude in the midst of difficulty. A trial is a situation that tests you. You win, you lose. You fail, you, or you succeed. You can't quit, you have to go forward and there's always another
2: trial. I remember when I started medical school, the first week there was a quiz. Then there was another quiz the next week. And then there was another quiz. And then I realized there was a quiz every week. And then I added up how many weeks there were. And I realized that for the next, I don't know how many gazillion years, I would be living from one quiz to the other. A sense of doom and failure one after the
1: other to the other and a lot of them I had trouble passing Ugh. Somehow you can't quit. you have to keep going forward because what else do you have? Well, you could quit. Then you quit trying or you'll try easier things. in the mornings,
2: I take reading class- classes because I have trouble reading, which explains all that failing of those quizzes in medical school. And but It's a long story. But anyway, so I take these reading classes. And they give you these tones because they try to sp- speed up the processing of hearing tones in your brain. And of course, I can't do it. And so it goes ah, wrong and it keeps giving me. Ah. And when it does it at a certain speed, in a trial. And if you get it wrong, it slows down the speed
1: until you succeed. And then you have to keep going naturally until
2: you fail again. <laughs> You're like, oh, I don't know. And it goes, er,
1: er, er. the thing is, that's the cool thing about it. I realized today while I was thinking about this show. It never stops, just like the quizzes in high school and just like the failures in life. It never stops
2: unless you stop, but then you stop living because that's the whole point. It's one trial after the other, unless, of course, you quit, then you die. If you quit, the trials just get easier and you learn less and you live less. So if I make a lot of mistakes, it gets very slow, it gets very boring. And I get less reward when I succeed. So it speeds up and I feel better. It speeds up and then I fail again. And that's the whole point of trials. Even though you can't feel this way when you
1: fail. The agony of defeat. is because they're trials and tribulations. And that is, is they literally raise you up. after a series of failures and successes. How do you survive that gratitude? (laughs) I tell you, because the only way to survive is to just hang in and not give in. But also have a graceful feeling of this too will work now you're like no it won't no it won't no it won't
2: well where you are you won't know how it works and while the buzzer is going and you're someone's someone is rejecting you and you're feeling your self-esteem and something's going wrong and you're feeling
1: terrible terrible it's very hard to tell you this will work because it isn't working for you But the key is slowly inside of you as you're failing that trial.
2: It's working on your nerves and your body and rewiring you toward steps toward success. I'm not saying for you to like it. I'm not saying that you should be happily grateful. I'm saying somehow it takes faith to say somehow this is working. As you grit your teeth and move
1: forward, because there is nothing else to do to continue to continue. You know you're in the midst of something that is terrible going on, like, I don't know, you crashed a car, you came home, a cat
2: died, and then um, then you know, you found a hole in your foot or something. I mean, one thing after the other, and then a pipe burst. And someone comes up to you and goes, well, you have a lot of spiritual learnings. You want to knock their teeth out. You do. It doesn't matter how much spirituality you read. You still do. Because I found out, I figured out why. It's because it isn't Job, the book of Job. He's sitting there. He's got these ulcers. His dogs, his cats, his chickens. Everybody's dying. Dying, dying, dying. His friends come visit him and go, well, you're apparently not spiritual enough. You're not connected to the divine enough. Are you crazy? This is, well, you know, I read the book every day.
1: Well, then another one goes, well, probably don't give enough charity. Well, I think I do. Well, I don't think you're grateful enough for what you have. I'm not saying that.
2: I'm not one of these people who thinks this is a spiritual event. We should all be grateful and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. No, I'm not saying that. Are you kidding? As anyone who's listened to me, I've had my share of catastrophes big time to the point where it's almost ridiculous.
1: I think I've watched too many cartoons growing up. One of them was the uh, Roadrunner Wile e. Coyote. It's these two people. Wile e. Coyote chases Roadrunner. And they have this little thing going on.
2: That Wiley Coyote kind of figures out these kind of maneuvers. And so he'll like design a rocket and go after Roadrunner. And he'll be designing it in the middle of the road. He turns around and a truck runs him over. <laughs> so there he is, flat in the road with a little piece of rocket. But somehow, no matter what happens, he goes bling and he comes back into shape. He brushes himself off as a little annoyed and
1: he goes back to his easel, back to the drawing board every single time, back, always. It's almost like it ingrained in us to never give
2: up despite what happens to you. And ironically, I have been running by a truck and a car. A truck in 84, after I finally graduated from Brown, took me six years. We're not going to get into how that happened. You're like, oh, well, that's why it was hard for a medical school. Let's just drop it, okay? And then in 2016, I crossed the street and got run over by a car. You're like, really? Is it visibility? Do you have a visual problem? Well, it's a long story. But anyway, after I landed on the ground, after I bounced on the hood, I get
1: up and I walk away. like. While E. Coyote. And um, I eat breakfast with Carolyn Mace. And Carolyn goes, Are you okay?
2: And I go, I think I am. I think getting hit by the car kind of did an adjustment on my hip. More on that in a second. So looking on the positive aspect, I'm not saying it didn't hurt like hell, but I, I felt something looser there. Well, needless to say, after doing two readings, not remembering them later on, they rushed me to the hospital because I really couldn't move. And they found out, yeah, just in my hip, I broke a
1: sacrum in half. I think about it, and I think as if there's something insane about me. Well, you watch
2: the movie um, Finding Nemo, and you see the
1: character Dory. And you see one catastrophe after another, they end up in a whale. They end up in all this. And the guy she's with, Nemo's father, keeps going, You know,
2: you're one of those fish that creates delays. (laughs) Because she always forgets
1: things and she's Calamity Jane there. However, they get stuck in a whale and Eventually,
2: he says, I don't know what to do. And she says, Let go. And he said, How do you know that? And she said, I don't. They let go. The whale sneezes and they go out the blowhole. They go out the blowhole. And so, what's interesting about that is that sometimes you just have to, as Dory says, keep going, just keep going. And with that inherent is gratitude because doom and gloom would be paralyzing. Doom and gloom
1: would be paralyzing. So gratitude means keep going, keep going. And for the moment, suspend belief that this too shall pass and somehow something will be better. Then, of course, there's the old, there's the old tale of gratitude of focusing on that somebody else is always worse than you. That may be, that may be. however that goes under the category of you don't want to be grateful that someone else is suffering more than you or that you're grateful that you got less than suffering than them because there's no such thing as suffering olympics gratitude is very similar to what they do when somebody dies in Judaism, when they die, you say Kaddish. And you say, if it's, if it's God's will. You don't, ha- you don't have to believe in God, the universe, the spirit, or whatever. You do have to believe that this is what's happening. And you have to believe in you. And somehow you have to have faith in that you and everyone around you
2: are somehow going to help you move forward. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and this is the gratitude, the health effects of being thankful, both during times of the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. We're taking your calls during the show for a mini-reading, question or comment, 207-846-6475, 207-846-6475. If you want a private reading, you can go to www.drmonalisa.com, www.drmonalisa.com, We, I am putting now the phone back on the hook. Don't know why that person was calling the wrong phone, but that's okay. We'll take this. And we will now take any questions.
1: Who has a question? Today's been one day of trials and tribulations. Anybody have any questions? Anybody have a crisis? Yes. Anne-Marie,
3: approach the bench. You may unmute. Thank you. I have a question. I want to know what causes... OBE experiences. Oh, that's so interesting. I had a very strange dream where I found myself floating towards my ceiling. Hold on one second.
1: Well, there were a couple of things. Emery, how old are you? I'm 53, or maybe, yeah, I'm 53 first of all in its most purest sense that's not the out of body experience that most people
2: talk about they talk about when they're dying they leave their body and they look at their body as doctors are working on them that's traditionally what people talk about at the time of death or um some extreme events but then there are other events, where one
1: has a dissociative event, where they leave, there's a separation of, how do I say this? Usually we see the world outside of our eyes, through
2: our eyes, but somehow in a dissociative event, you have an experience of sensing the world outside of your body, not from your eyes outward. Do you understand what I'm saying, Anne-Marie? I'll try to. I'm listening. Okay. The reason why I say that is that temporal lobe, the area for mysticism,
1: vision, hearing, body sense, and taste all go down there and create memory if a person has a unique form of wiring in the temporal lobe,
2: whether it's brain injury, trauma, epilepsy,
1: some unique wiring, they get a different kind of experience, a perception in the world.
2: So some people might have
1: Dissociative events, if they have a form of epilepsy in their temporal lobe, they um, they also may have spiritual experiences, they may write a lot, but usually they don't have a sudden, on. they don't usually all of a
2: sudden out of the blue, alone have an out of body there are other things that go on in their life in their body in their health that go along with this the other people who have out-of-body experiences what happens is they're in an event where there is changes in blood glucose and um chemicals in their body from the trauma of an accident or a surgery and then it creates changes in the, um, the watershed, the areas of blood supply around the limbic system. And as a result, vision, hearing, body sense, or whatever, they say that that changes one's perception of self. On the other hand, people say, if you're getting ready to go to the other side, die, you leave your body and you get to see your body en route to the other world that's in the setting of having an accident or surgery, but this is not happening to you. This is a pure event that has not to do with an accident. So there's something different about your brain. Do you understand? Okay. And when I look at you, usually it's people who are very intuitive, porous, emotional, and perhaps have had a history of trauma. Some people who have a history of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, their body creates this kind of mechanism through which they can leave the scene of the accident, the trauma, and see the situation outside of themselves. That is a compensatory strategy that changes their brain and on some level, though it's um agony to have gone through the trauma the positive side the thrill the victory the gratitude is that we're left with sometimes mystical intuitive ability as long as leaving our body doesn't stand in the way of relationships working and functionality in the world are you following me
1: Mm -hmm.
2: so some people have dissociative events after they've had sexual abuse incest or some kind of trauma. It's rewired their brain to leave the scent, the scene of the trauma, per se, but that's left them with a unique stretchiness in that area. And when I look at you, I see a situation in a family with someone who's cold, distant, critical—definitely not the most nicest person—and in that group. I see you're trying to have a relationship with someone and a third person interferes,
1: and somehow you become porous, sensitive to survive this family.
0: Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
1: What was the family like when you were growing up? It was difficult.
2: I love the way you say difficult. Because you're from Brit- um England, right? Yes. Have a UK accent. So when people say difficult, I say, "Oh my God, it was dr- it was terrible." <laughs> because you're British, it's tidy. Can you okay? Can you ramp it up a little bit and tell me? How difficult it was?
1: What was the most difficult thing? Having a mother who... I don't know what was wrong with her, but she, she had a, she has
2: issues. Okay, see, there's another neutral word. She has issues. I don't know anybody who doesn't have issues.
3: Let me say, she calls distant critical? Yes, but she was also very kind. She was very kind. She was also that, but she was awful, also well, awful. Actually, she could be awful. She was like two people. Okay. okay, so get okay, that's kind of nerve-wracking. That's where the
2: intuition comes around. So if there are two people, you have to intuit when um what is it, Jekyll and Hyde. I don't know who is the worst. I guess it's Jekyll, because that doesn't sound that great. So when you have to intuit when Jekyll's about to rear their head. So you can go poof and leave. So she had an unstable personality. Yes. right? What was the worst
1: thing she did when she was um, in the Jekyll phase? Um, make me codependent. Now, you see, and you're using those neutral.
2: See, when you use those intellectual words. Your body has to do something to go, hey, listen, that's a neutral word. (laughs) Made me do codependent things. Okay.
3: She wanted me to remain a baby, literally. (laughs) She wanted you to do what? Remain a baby. She was a little strange because she wanted a baby. I was adopted. She's very strange.
1: So she didn't want you to be
2: codependent. She wanted you to be dependent. Yeah. See how we get confused with those words, which is like, I don't like buzzwords because you hear more buzz than words. There's no definition. She Mm -hmm. wanted you to continue to be dependent so you wouldn't have your own
1: individual life. Mm -hmm. Right. And how would she facilitate that? I'm getting a sick feeling in my stomach. Well, let's say it was just
3: very extreme. It was like she hit me over the head with a potty. She did very extreme things. See how you just said, well, it was codependent. She
2: made me codependent. No, because when I got sick, some mothers keep their children in an infantile
1: role by making them sick. She did that as
3: well. (laughs) How did she do that? Well, I wasn't sick, but she, you know, she she managed to get um, authorities to send me to special schools and things like that. And That's right. There's
2: a word for that, but I'm not going to use the word. So she got attention mm-hmm. from physicians. She got care mm-hmm. for you and attention for herself by seeking out medical and educational care for you. Yes. That's why I felt sick to my stomach. That's why you have the dissociative thing. Do you get it? Uh-huh. That's what some people do when it's not a life-threatening illness. Well, it can be. But it's not like the surgery or the scene of the accident. Is people get dissociative if they've been in an abusive environment. So this is where you, because it can get in the way of having a stable relationship, stable work stable family. This is where to maintain a stable sense of self where your brain and sense of identity stays scotch taped to your body. You do something that helps you maintain the connection between right brain, emotional mind, left brain, mental mind, and your body. It's called dialectical behavioral therapy. Die meaning two things at once. I like it because, number one, I've taken it and I've taught it. And dialectic is the sense of gratitude that one can find something positive when wonderful is wonderful is going on, but also find something positive to help them
1: survive difficulty. And that's a very mindful concept. Are you following me?
2: Uh I suggest... Uh wherever you're living right now, because a person can have, have an accent like that live every, anywhere, I want you to look up someone who does dialectical behavioral therapy. Very helpful for people who've had a history of trauma and dissociative phenomenon. Can be extremely helpful.
1: Thank Good you. luck and thank you so much for joining me. That was a wonderful question. Anybody else have a question? Great question.
2: Because that's an example of someone who's left with a sensitivity of tragedy and trauma in their life, but um, and some scars, obviously some trauma, but then left with some gifts. And to survive, we have to be able to tolerate the moment. Tolerate the moment is part of gratitude. It's very, it's not an easy thing, but it's a way of being mindful and tolerating the moment. In mindfulness, there's something called willful and willing. Willful is struggling and not accepting what is. Trying to change it, change it, change it. This is not right. This is not right. I'm going to change it. And willing means accepting what is. On the other hand, accepting everything the way it is isn't helpful either because you may not fight for yourself if you're in a situation where we really require fighting. Or, um, fight for someone you love, however, any extreme, either always being tolerant or always trying to change something, either extreme is not helpful, so we need a balance of willingness to accept what is gratitude and willfulness to fight what is, but do them simultaneous, and that's dialectic
1: that's why. You might tolerate something and be grateful. Oh, it's so hard to say because it's pejorative.
2: This somehow is going to work for me. I don't know how it is. It doesn't feel right. I just got run over by a car, but somehow this will work.
1: If anything, it will be a great story to tell on a podcast. (laughs) However, I don't know. It will make me a more resilient person. I don't know. I do know
2: that I taught, I teach a seven-day class in medical intuition every year. It's a summer camp. It's a certificate training program. You learn your unique brain wiring for medical intuition. And um, part of it is understanding your unique brain and body and that the information you get isn't just from you. It's from all that is being connected to all there is
1: but you can't think it's all about you that you're all powerful so i had this student once who called me after the show after
2: the class and said i do what you do and i said fine everybody does to some degree some form of intuition and he said um
1: i'm changing the gender or the sex, or whatever you want to call it, to protect their identity. So he said, "Um, by the way, when you got run over by the truck in 84, I
2: intuitively know that could have been prevented. I went, really? Now, granted, I went for a run. I looked to the left and right and saw no truck. And then I got run over, thrown 86 feet. Four fractures in my pelvis, several broken ribs, that collapsed lung, and a shattered scalp. So I can understand personally, because I was on the tarmac, tarmac, on the tar, or whatever. Tarmac is at an airport. I can understand I was on the pavement and getting screamed at by a cop, pedestrian hit vehicle,
1: $75 ticket I received. It's very painful. 10 days later, I walked. However, The resilience it gave me, though a brain injury, the resilience it gave me was unbelievable. Six months later or so, what was it?
2: That was in June. I went back to work in October. So it was like September. I ran a 10K and I won it. I actually came in second in six and a half, five and a half minute miles, five and a half minute miles. Only because I kept running faster and faster because it hurt. I can't take credit for that. But the point is, I felt so much better about myself because I was able to accomplish that. You go from, the reason why I, the title of this show, Gratitude, the health effects of being thankful, both during times of the thrill of victory And the agony of defeat. After something awful happens, like getting run over by a truck, getting diagnosed by cancer,
1: um, Menuno, the brain tumor. But then healing, thrill of victory after the agony of defeat. A defeat again, not being able to get pregnant.
2: Then thrill of victory. She gets pregnant. And then the agony of defeat again of getting pancreatic cancer and then surviving thrill of victory again. There's something about victory, defeat, victory, defeat, victory, defeat, that builds resilience in. It's just hard in the middle of the defeat part. If you can manage to stop that moment and go,
1: we've been here before. I remember being on this pavement. So I told the guy, so you really think
2: that you're so good that you intuitively knew that that truck should have been prevented? I shouldn't have gotten hit? He went, yeah. I said, wow, that's amazing. Because you know how much I learned as a result
1: of getting run over? Now, granted, it might have been easier, but you would have prevented me from all that experience and learning about what I could do. I don't know any of us who are in the position to know what's good for us
2: or not. It's between us and a higher power. That's why Kaddish, when you say it when someone dies, it's the Kaddish is about the will of the higher power, meaning somehow this is going to work and I'm not in a position to see how it can. And that's how faith, that's where faith comes in. Gratitude is really about faith. Somehow I'm grateful that somewhere, somewhere, somebody knows how this is going to work. But I certainly do. But I'm grateful that somehow between me and whoever else is out there, we're going to work at this through and move
1: forward. That's what gratitude's all about. Any other questions? The other day I was on the phone, returning a call for reading. I'll take this one. Laura, I'm
2: Dr. Mona Lisa. How can I be of help? I unmuted you. Unmute yourself. How can I be of help?
1: Um, I'm 80 and becoming very
2: fearful of aging. Good. Right with what I was going to say. (laughs) Aging is ridiculous because there are some people who have a lot of health problems. But I'm very lucky. I know, but wait a minute. Who could go at any time? And there are other people who are older who could go at any time. The fact remains is that we could all go at any time.
1: I was once doing a class at Omega. And this was after... I had a surgery
2: and I died in the OR. I didn't know what it was, but I died. But anyway, so I'm at Omega several months afterwards and I'm feeling nauseous, which is rare. And I don't want to eat, which is rare because everybody in my family, well, they are as wide as they are tall. So I'm sitting there on stage and the tile of the, the panel, it's on a Saturday night nonetheless, was how to grow old, grateful, graceful. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So it was me and two older women who journal. (laughs) Now I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops and they are looking serene. You know the type. So as they wax philosophically about journaling and spirituality, I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I'm sitting next to them and I'm thinking, let's get this dog and pony show on the road. So the last,
1: because I got to get out of here because I feel that I'm going to throw up on the stage. So the last question comes to me and the moderator goes, who is very
2: sweet and very kind. And unfortunately, she got me as her last question. She says, as we all grow old, what
1: tips do you have to help a person Handle the anxiety and the uncertainty. I said, great question. And I spoke quickly because you'll understand I was racing throwing up.
2: I said, "Give you ever see that movie Gilbert Grape? And they all looked at me with horror. Johnny Depp, he plays a, cl- a client who is uh, cognitively challenged. And he would rock because people who are cognitively challenged rock because they're releasing GABA, which is anti-anxiety. But anyway, he's rocking. And he would always run away, climb up this water tower somewhere, and he would scream, my mother said I could go any time,
1: go any time, go any time, because he wasn't supposed to live very long. And I said, that's the whole point. All of us, I said, I've had a lot of health problems that have caused me to almost die since I was 12.
2: So I want you to know, just like the movie says, my mother says I can go anytime, go anytime, go anytime. Any one of us, (laughs) for a variety of reasons. And you're statistically well when you get older. No, no, no. Any of us could go anytime. You, 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 any of us. And people in the audience are looking at me like this. Any of us could go anytime. So live fully in the moment now. At that moment, I got up and walked out <laughs> and down the aisle, and when I got outside, I started to throw up everywhere, which time they rushed me to the hospital, and I had a small bowel obstruction. The point of the matter is, the other day, I was upset because, you know, I could go anytime, go anytime, go anytime, because that vessel, that blue, now has a rod that's broken. So I get off the phone because the guy is supposed to measure for windows comes and i'm particularly upset about this because i have to all i want to do is look out the window at the sun during my remaining days how dramatic (laughs) (laughs) but i do seriously you know i run up the stairs how smart is that okay i could be i could stand to be a little more nervous but i'm upset okay so i open the door and there's a guy there so how are you i said i want he looked relatively healthy and I look relatively healthy. You can't tell because I'm chipper. That I can go anytime, go anytime, go anytime. Because I've been doing that since I was 12. So I look at the guy and I go, listen, this is a story. Don't charge me a lot of money because I won't be using these windows for very long. And he looks at me because, you know, no, nothing breaks up the anxiety by using irreverent humor. I said, I want this whole walls to be windows, but I won't be using them for very long because I could die any moment. <laughs> if I fall... I'll die because I have this vein that's the main vein that ripped once. And now I got a, a rod next to it that can go. And then I look at him and I go, wait a minute now. <laughs> completely disinhibited, which really makes a good medical intuitive. I look at him and I go, your neck. That which is completely fused to me now. I look at him and he's got, I have one scar, as you can see. He's got two. So like in poker, he sees me and he raises me. I went. Story with your neck. Did you have bilateral carotid? Do you have bilateral carotid replacements? He said, Yes. I said, Huh. I did research on that in 1982 on baboons. I said, Are You want aspirin? I said, Because that's what I did. He said, No, I, I can't take aspirin. It made me die. I had to be resuscitated. I said, You don't tell. <laughs> I said, Aspirin. He said, I'm on a blood thinner. I said, So am I. That's the whole problem is because its name blew. He said, my vein blew too. And he opens up his shirts and he shows me the scar. And he goes, yeah, that's the other time. He said, I've died three times. I
1: went three. So he's, he's has got one scar, he's got two, okay? He's
2: blown three veins, not one, okay? And he's already gone through one blood thinner and he's been on three. He goes, yeah, that was the time they put the uh, the filter in, and you know, blah blah blah. I look at him and I go, "You've died three times." <laughs> oh, he goes, "Yeah." So this is what. It's not that I'm grateful that he died more. <laughs> oh,
1: it's that that's what always happens. I look at him, and
2: he's working, and I'm working. And I go, "Son of a gun!" I said, "And you're still working?" He said, "Yeah." What am I supposed to do? And I was grateful. And I said, so he he measured my windows and he laughed at me. And I said, well, this is what I was thinking. I was thinking an Anderson 400 series. He went, ma'am. I said, I was thinking of a casement. Then I went, well, that's a double hung. So we can't have double hung. That's a bit much. He goes, that would be a lot. I said, then we were going to put a picture window. Then we'd have a picture, a double hung, and two casements. I said, that's like a festival for different types of windows. He said, that would be a mess. I said, so let's just get rid of all of them and just put a bunch of casements. He says, you learned all of that. I said, well, I kind of hang out at Anderson.com. Anyway, make a long story short on his way out. But as he say, I said, I want to thank you, which is another way of saying I have gratitude, but more than just the windows.
1: <laughs> because thank you. he was there. Thank you. I felt. Do you understand? Yes. <laughs> thank you. No, but wait a minute. We're not done. I said. Um, Thank you for coming. You're still working. It's so hard to get someone to come. You understand anyone like him would be anxious, terrified to even leave the house. You understand if he falls, he dies. You get it? Yeah. I said, thank you for coming. He
2: said, ma'am, you haven't seen the price yet. I said, I could care less. By the way, when I was sitting down, I felt nauseous. I felt dizzy and nauseous. It wasn't until later on that I realized I was feeling his dizziness and his nausea.
1: Wow. And I went, Ooh. I said, I'm so grateful that you came.
2: He said, you haven't got my bill yet. I said, it's not, it doesn't matter. The fact is you came. It's not a suffering Olympics. I got more from that man than you have no idea. Do you get grateful because someone, someone somewhere is worse off than you? No, because then you're wishing for someone to suffer more than you.
1: You're grateful because you saw someone live fully. And they're leading the way. They're showing you how it's done. He's living fully in the moment and he is so grateful.
2: And it's beyond an intellectual exercise. It's like that one, I want more of that. It's like that movie where Harry met Sally, where she's in the diner. And he said, you you haven't had great sex. And she said, I have. And she said, no, you haven't. So she starts moaning at the table. Oh, oh, and banging at the table. And the lady at another table goes over and says, I'll have what she's having. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted what he was having. I wanted the gratitude. People would say, Mona Lisa, you talk a lot about your health. Well, medical intuitives tend to have a lot of health catastrophes. The thing is, it's very instructive. Because I don't exactly, I mean, I have my moments, believe me. But, you know, it's like Wile e. Coyote. I kind of get up after the trucks run me over and then I go back to the drawing board and figure out, okay, now how am I going to make this work? And you can learn from that and say, I want some of that.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, I do. (laughs) It's
2: not the truck. But everybody here has their own truck. I know this
1: because you call me on the phone. I hope I have some help. You people are wonderful. I couldn't believe all the scars that guy had. It was stunning. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I hope Absolutely. I hope you didn't think
2: I was yelling at you because I wasn't meaning to. It was surreal. Thank you. I'm grateful. <laughs> but I want you to know you still be anxious. You can still be anxious. Gratitude is not the absence of suffering. Yeah. That's like Kaddish. They're dead. You're at the cemetery. They be dead. We're not saying, oh, I'm <laughs> grateful. They're dead. No, they're dead. We won't feel grief or bereavement anymore because we're grateful. No, that's ridiculous. No, you can be anxious. It's a dialectic. You can be anxious and say, I'm scared. And I'm going to move through this. It's doing both at the same time. It's called a spiritual paradox. Because I can tell you right now, every time I get to the top of those stairs, I look down and sometimes I almost trip. Like the other day, I fell against the mirror instead of falling down the stairs. It's like, dear God in heaven, it's an accident in the month club
1: over here. I'm nervous. I'm very anxious. However, what's one to do? One must press on. Because if you stop, you're still going to be nervous. Do you get it? Absolutely.
2: Thank you. So, your minds will have fun and be nervous too. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good luck. I want to thank Thank you you for welcoming me to your day. You people look brilliant. Be healthy. Be fabulous. And be grateful. See you next week. And laugh.